You are listening to Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My, a bi-weekly podcast about healthcare law in the United States, brought to you by the Healthcare Group at Kroll & Mooring. I am Joe Records. And I'm Pyle Nanavati, and today we will be discussing ERISA and potential liability for planned fiduciaries. We're joined today by David McFarlane and Sam Kraus. So David, who is ERISA and why are we talking about her today? ERISA is a federal law that came into being about 45 years ago that basically regulates all retirement plans, all health plans, and all welfare plans in the United States. The focus of the last 45 years, however, has been on the retirement side. That is just beginning to change. There's a shift over to the healthcare side in terms of compliance and litigation and focus on ERISA. Sam, did you have anything to add? No. I mean, one of the reasons that it largely is focused on the retirement plan space is that that's what got it started. There was a number of mergers back in the 60s where one company bought another company, raided their pension plan for cash, and then the company went out of business. The notable case was when Studebaker bought Packard. They raided the Packard pension plan, and when the company went under, there was nothing left for the retirees. So that's what started ERISA, and that's one of the reasons why that most of the litigation has been focused on the retirement space, 401k, and traditional pension plans. But as the world has moved on, and with the interest in welfare plans and health plans in general, it's become a far bigger issue. So if ERISA was focused on retirement plans, why as health lawyers should we worry about ERISA? You should worry about ERISA because the laws that apply to retirement plans are the identical ones that apply to health plans. Every employer-sponsored retirement plan and every employer-sponsored health plan in the United States, whether self-funded or insured, is still subject to ERISA to some extent. And those rules kick up a lot of protections for employee benefits under the retirement plans and under the health plans, including fiduciary duties that the employer as plan sponsor and others who run the plans need to adhere to. Otherwise, they're personally liable for any breaches. So if I'm picking this up correctly, it sounds like we have a Venn diagram of health law and ERISA. And it sounds like the ERISA circle is overlapping with, but also encroaching further and further as time is going on, on the health law space. Would that be fair to say? Well, what's happened is, is that ERISA covers plans specifically that are provided through employment. And as we know, there's a very high percentage of people in the United States now who get their health care through benefit plans provided by their employers. I think it's upwards of 60%, I mean, a very large portion of the population. So if you're a healthcare company, then you will be dealing with ERISA in one way, shape, or form. The other thing is, is that because of the way the rules are structured, things that weren't always thought about in the past are coming back to haunt companies. I mean, for example, corporate decisions like whether or not to buy your own in-house pharmacy benefit manager versus use an outside pharmacy benefit manager, those things are affected by ERISA because if you go and buy a pharmacy benefit manager and now you've got a health plan that you provide and then you use your pharmacy benefit manager, there are additional constraints because of ERISA's prohibited transaction rules that deal with when you're dealing with your own party and interest. And those are the things that we're starting to see, especially in some litigation that's been coming up in the last year or so. And I'll just add to that, there's some 
consistent misconceptions about the application of ERISA in the healthcare area, particularly with respect to employer-sponsored plans. Sometimes we hear, well, only the ACA applies. ERISA doesn't apply at all. And sometimes we hear, well, it's a self-funded plan, then only ERISA applies and insurance law doesn't apply, state law insurance law. And then we hear, because it is insured, it is not subject to ERISA. All those things are incorrect. If it is a employer-sponsored health plan, whether self-insured or insured, it is still subject to ERISA. And people get the issue of preemption and application of ERISA to various plans, I think, incorrect at the get-go. And that's a problem as a fiduciary and a plan participant in terms of knowing what your rights are and what you have to do as an employer. And if anyone's interested, I can help because I have the 10 golden rules of (laughs) ERISA and health plans. If anybody wants just a snapshot of the most important 10 things they need to know. I think also to add to that, there's a large issue with the fact that because ERISA is its own statutory scheme that's been around a long time, it has its own sort of unique carve-outs. And one place we've seen that, for example, is in the fiduciary advising. The ERISA fiduciary rules are very complex and very deep. And one of the, we've heard people say to us, oh, well, you're giving us advice on our fiduciary duties. This is all subject to attorney-client privilege, isn't it? Well, there is a carve-out under a number of court rulings that say that when a fiduciary is acting as such and getting advice as such, that there are, in certain circumstances, exceptions to the attorney-client privilege because you're being given this information not as someone who's just seeking legal counsel for their own benefit, but seeking legal counsel in their role as a fiduciary. And therefore, anybody who is a beneficiary of the plan has a right to know what's said to you. Let's talk about the F word in ERISA. Let's talk about fiduciary responsibilities for a little bit and how ERISA fiduciary responsibilities can be a scary thing for plan sponsors and what kinds of things a plan sponsor needs to think about and be concerned about in his or her role. Sam, I'll I'll start off on this and then you can continue because this is a big area and it's an area that has just hit, quite frankly, over last year, the healthcare area of law with a couple of class actions that are basically using the same arguments that have been used under the 401k fees and expense litigation over the last 10 years, probably. And that argument basically is, look, employer, you have not been properly monitoring the plan. You have not been meeting your fiduciary duties of looking out basically in our best interest as plan participants, and the fees and expenses are way too high in the 401k plan. That argument has always, to a great extent, been in the sole area of retirement plan. That argument now is coming over to the health plan side, where plan participants and class actions are saying to the employer, look, plan participants, my premiums are shockingly going up every year. You were getting all of these sort of rebates and benefits from PBMs and all these costs and all these bells and whistles that are inappropriate for us under this high deductible health plan. And they're turning to them and saying, you're not doing your job. You have a fiduciary duty to act in my best interest in setting up this plan. And it's quite obvious you're not doing it. And that has sent a shockwave through the industry. So how does a plan sponsor appeal a lawsuit? based on a breach of fiduciary responsibility. My understanding is that a breach of fiduciary responsibility can result in personal liability to the plan sponsors. Right, I'll let Sam answer that question because Sam has a deep background in ERISA litigation and worked at the DOL. But what always gets attention from clients is the fact that under ERISA, fiduciaries are personally liable for breaches. So that generally means each individual on the board of directors, it usually means individuals in the C-suite, 
and other employees that are involved in either the administration or management of the assets or the plan itself. And that is a de facto role. You cannot contract your way out of that, say, well, you know, I do this and I administer and have all kinds of discretionary authority with respect to the assets and the management of the plan, but I'm not a fiduciary. It doesn't work. In addition to that, fiduciaries are responsible for their co-fiduciaries' actions. So the individuals that the company, that the plan sponsor hires as record keepers and all these other TPAs to do specific things for the plant, the fiduciaries can be liable for those co-fiduciaries' activities or breaches if certain things happen. Sam? The other thing is, is there's a lot of structural crossover with this area because what happens is, for example, there's a case now in North Carolina involves a hospital that owned its own pharmacy benefit manager. And what they're being sued for is not just the straight breach of fiduciary duty, you allowed expenses to be too high, but it's in what is almost a case of first impression in this area. It was looked at and their plan for the hospital employees used this pharmacy benefit manager, which is owned by the hospital. And they said, look, the allegation is you are charging more money for use of this PBM to our own employees than you are to the market. And so that adds the extra step of there may be a prohibited transaction because the plan sponsor is the hospital, a party in interest, which owns the PBM. Are you choosing this PBM because they're providing the best benefits and the best cost to your employees, or are you using them because they're yours? And so that adds the additional layer. And again, with the consolidation in the market of health insurance companies not only being in the traditional health space, but buying PBMs and affiliating with PBMs, it adds an extra wrinkle of how you look at all of these contracts because under ERISA's fiduciary duty rules, it's not always prohibited that you deal with a party in interest. There are certain exceptions for contracts that are considered market and things like that. So you have to look at them with a deeper eye than you would look at any other arm's length transaction. So for providers, for health systems and hospitals who are considering clinically integrated networks or or ACOs or dipping their toe in the payer space for economic reasons and clinical integration reasons, it sounds like, so I know they have to worry about antitrust. They have to worry about fraud and abuse. They have to worry about billing. It sounds like they also need to worry about ERISA. That's right. And that's largely something that hasn't really been thought of because one of the golden rules of ERISA, one of ERISA's most important rules is, is that as a fiduciary of a plan, you are always required to do what is in the best interest of the plan participants, not the sponsor, not the employer, but what is in the best interest of the plan participants. And every action you take, every contract you enter into, you have to keep that in mind. Is this in the best interest of the plan participants? Is there a situation where someone could come back and say, hey, you guys did this to feather your own nest or make your own life easier or simply out of laziness? Or is this being done for a purpose? ERISA doesn't require you be, the fiduciary rules don't require you be perfect, but they require you put the time and effort in to be educated and understand the implications of the decisions you make. And what's happened in this area over the last 45 years is that before the Affordable Care Act, health and welfare plans were basically not 
focused on by plan sponsors to be properly administered and governed and documented. Compare that to the retirement plan side where employers learn very quickly that we need to get in that 5,500. We have to have a plan documentation and an SPD and an SMM and all those other things that ERISA mandates. So we start sort of around the Affordable Care Act with a mess. There is a lot of non-compliance. Add on to that this concept of employer, plan sponsor, you are not looking out in my best interest as a plan participant because you are wasting fees and expenses. You're not keeping proper control of them. On the retirement plan, that's easy. It's a 401k account. It's investments. It's very specific in terms of what you look to. On the health plan side, it's messy. Sometimes it's out of general assets. Sometimes they have all these interwoven fees and expenses in health plans that are harder to distinguish. So when you put those things together, you see that there's a disparity in terms of how important healthcare is to every American family compared to the 401k plan. At least in my family, it's almost weekly or daily concerns about the cost of coverage or actual coverage under a plan. It's in the forefront of Americans' minds. So there is a stronger focus on governance and compliance from the board of directors on down to the people who are properly looking at this plan. Interestingly, the other portion of this that's becoming more worried about is with a traditional pension or 401k, number one, it's not something you think about every single day. Like David said, on the welfare plan side, on the health plan side, I as a end user am more involved on a daily basis with my health than I am with my retirement funds. I check them a few times a year, things like that. The other issue is, is who is it that is a fiduciary? In the 401k space, for example, the fiduciaries are responsible for properly running the plan, following its terms, and then picking good investments, for example. And again, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to pick all the best investments that only have the best returns. But you do, a few times a year, have to look into the investments and make sure that these are things that are worth offering. But that fiduciary duty is sort of limited to that because under the code, if I have choices to make my own investments under what's called 404C, then the plan is not liable. The fiduciaries are not liable for my individual choices. If I choose bad and I invest in things that aren't successful, that's on me. In the health plan space, because of ERISA's fiduciary setup that anyone who has discretionary authority with respect to the benefits under the plan, how the benefits are applied, as well as how the plan assets are used, you have a larger pool of potential fiduciary decisions on a day-to-day basis in a welfare plan. Anytime someone calls in and says, by the way, I just got my doctor just gave me a prescription for X, Y, and Z pharmaceutical, whether or not to give that pharmaceutical out, whether or not that's covered under the plan, is a fiduciary decision. Because, okay, well, under our terms of our plan, this pharmaceutical can be used for X purpose, but not Y purpose, and therefore, we're not going to cover it, or we are going to cover it. So those types of day-to-day decisions, there's so many more fiduciaries who touch a welfare plan, there's so many more fiduciary duties and fiduciary actions that take place on a daily basis. It's something that hasn't been seen before because in the 401k space, on a daily basis, there's not as many fiduciary decisions to be made by the company and the sponsors. And turning to the magnitude of the risk under ERISA personal liability, 
David, I saw an article that you wrote not too long ago, which we will link in the show notes, about $28 trillion? trillion dollars? $29 trillion this year. Oh, 29 now. Yeah, it's gone up a trillion. Wow. And that's overall in the potential fiduciary personal liability? That's retirement plan assets in the United States. Wow. Okay. So, so a pretty so significant a, issue. So it's a, it's a big target for the plaintiff's bar. It's a big target for the government. It's a big target for cybersecurity breaches. There's a lot of money in this area. It's the largest accumulation of wealth in the United States. And as David rightly pointed out a minute ago, one of the big issues of that is people aren't really thinking about it. Because ERISA is set up where you are a fiduciary because of what you do, not because of what your contract says, you can be a fiduciary even though your contract says you're not. So it's not uncommon to see these contracts say, we accept no fiduciary liability for any of this stuff, or we're not fiduciaries under the plan. But given that the test is what actions you take, if you have this discretionary authority, you're a fiduciary regardless of what your contract says. And that is something that the insurance companies are starting to find that the plaintiff's bar especially is taking very seriously. And that is a hook upon which we're starting to see the litigation hat get hung on. And I'll just add two things to that is, one, on the retirement plan side, it's clear what is a plan asset. It's what you contribute to your 401k, the employer matches, the interest earner. You know what a plan asset is, and that is a magic word under ERISA. Those funds, those assets have a special protection under that piece of legislation. On the health plan side, it is more murky. And the courts are now going to have to, and they have started, to address what is a plan asset on the health plan side. Is it the employee premiums that they pay, part of the general assets for self-funded plans, from the employer's general assets? And then you trickle it down all the way through the record keepers and the PBMs and cost sharing and all these other concepts. And it's like, who owns the money? Are these plan assets? If so, then they are crystallized and protected by ERISA with very significant rules and regulations, disclosure and reporting. The second thing I will mention is that a lot of times when we talk to employers about this, they'll say, well, we have DNO insurance. We got this. Even though we have a billion- What kind of insurance? Directors and officers insurance. Even though we have a billion dollar plan, we have insurance if anything goes south. But then when you look at those policies, the majority of them have an ERISA exclusionary rider. It does not cover ERISA, or if it does, it's for like $5 million or $10 million. And it will have some weird thing like the fiduciaries have to have training every year. There has to be a committee that meets and ha- all these specific things. So in essence, they are exposed to very significant personal liability because of what is happening under their huge 401k and health plans. Let's touch a little bit more on the new potential liabilities that could arise for payers. Payers have been dealing with ERISA in some ways for a long time, but David, as you mentioned, the Affordable Care Act kind of changed the landscape in terms of potential ERISA liability. What are some of the issues that are arising for health insurers related to ERISA that we're seeing more of lately? Sam, you want to take that? Yeah, there's two areas I think that are really critical. One is the simple fee litigations that have been so common in the 401k and 403b space. Whether or not you're doing everything you can effectively to keep costs down, that is something that has not really been strongly litigated over the past 45 plus years and is now starting to become a very popular source of litigation. Somebody, they put together a class that says, look, you guys aren't spending enough time shopping around for insurance and putting together these plans that are designed to keep costs down. And that can then spiral out to things like, are you doing enough to prevent waste, fraud, and abuse under the plan? 
are you doing enough to make sure that the companies that are acting as payors are servicing the beneficiaries in the best way possible, things like that. And again, then the other side of it is going to be the contract area of when entering into these contracts, have you looked deeply enough into the relationships between the contracting parties to make sure that you are not accidentally stumbling upon a prohibited transaction, like this case that I mentioned, where the insurance plan was using its own in-house pharmacy benefit manager, and perhaps the issue could arise where upon looking into it, the issue becomes, did you spend enough time looking at whether or not this pharmacy benefit manager that is related to you is providing a good cost solution with good benefits versus an outside company that's not related to you? Maybe you should have gone to them because they had a better cost solution, things like that. So in closing, what is the one thing a listener would need to remember about ERISA and how things are changing? I think the primary thing is that they have to ensure that they focus on their governance and compliance with their health plans, because this is an area that is being looked at closely by the ERISA bench, the plaintiff's bar, as another wave of class action litigation. And they already have a template for this. It's not a difficult stretch for them to come forward with these class action lawsuits. And again, the difference is, is that the documentation and the governance is a lot looser and sloppier on the health plan side. So I think employers have to appreciate who their fiduciaries are, what sort of DNO coverage they have, what are the duties and obligations of an ERISA fiduciary, and then they need to really focus on cleaning up their plan documentation. Now is the time to do that prior to, you know, when some sort of class action lawsuit drops. Sam? I think also it's that with this area, what's happening is, is that a long-standing area of law is being applied in a different way. So the long-standing fiduciary duties litigation that has gone on on the 401k side is now being applied to welfare plans. But in some sense, it's apples and oranges. So it provides an opportunity to actually fit that square peg into that round hole and where that makes it difficult for plan providers as well as employers is that there's so many things that could possibly be litigated that no one has thought about before. So with a lot of money and an active plaintiff's bar that's always looking for the next big thing, creative arguments can come out of what seemingly 20 years ago would have seemed like left field and be applied in a very harmful way. And I think we'll leave it there. Thank you both for joining us today to talk about ERISA. Thank you. Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My is a podcast brought to you by Kroll and Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash healthcare podcast.